Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff, I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's our lead author. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday. And what we saw last week was that even though a couple of weeks ago, we started to see signs that inflation may be peaking. Last week, I think the CPI numbers, at least psychologically, if nothing else, showed that inflation psychology is still very strong and mean that the Federal Reserve is going to have to be even more aggressive, probably, in combating inflation than was initially expected. And so I think that that's going to be probably pretty pretty heavy for capital markets to be dealing with here for a little bit. But we saw signs of people talking about interest rates that need to be much, much higher in order to address inflation. People talking about the Fed's credibility in question. Most noteworthy was that Larry Summers said that the Fed's credibility is coming into, into question and used some pretty pointed language calling them delusional when they issued their original statements about transitory inflation, which, you know, can't say totally disagree. But Eric, any thoughts on this? Yeah, the consensus you can tell is that the Fed is way behind the curve in terms of raising interest rates. And even getting to 3% may not be enough to, to actually deal with inflation. So historically, I think uh, looking at what the Greenland Capital President was saying and also looking at Stanley Duncan Miller, so I think is, they were very pointed in what they were saying, like, hey, interest rates need to be above 8% to actually deal with inflation. So I think you need to have real interest rates, uh, positive real interest rates to deal with inflation. I think that was my key takeaway this week. Both of them were speaking at the own conference, which was a very, very insightful conference to listen to. But all in all, I think it's the reality is that we're dealing with very high inflation and not just uh, in the US, across the world, and especially so in Europe, but also like we're also dealing with that very uh, slowing down global economy. So we may be looking at a situation of stagnant inflation, sadly. But for you though, for me, being in the US, uh, what's the situation like on the ground in terms of I know gas prices are up, way up than normal. What else is up? Yeah, I think that what I'm seeing most acutely is the food and energy prices are, are up a lot. The thing I'm most concerned about right now is just seeing an inflationary psychology starting to take hold. And so, I don't know. I mean, I think the 8.5% number to me is still driven a lot by these extreme supply chain challenges and things that have come from COVID. But even if those were to be stripped away, I think like our base inflation rate from a psychological perspective is getting into like threes, fours, fives, something like that. And then if you are saying that you need positive real interest rates, which would be my expectation as well, you're talking about, okay, well, you need to add at least a point to that, something like that. Let's say four, four, five, and 6% interest rates, if not higher, honestly, in order to really break something that could be spiraling out of control. And, uh, you know, when that's the case, equity, equity multiples get down into the low, low double digits, even in that, and even the high single digits sometimes in the eights, nines, tens, elevens, equity prices are not, not ready for that at all. So, I mean, 8.6% 8. was already crazy enough to drive, to, to drive the stock markets spiraling downwards and year to date, you're already significantly down. So I don't know. Any more higher readings of inflation would actually be, would decimate the stock market. Yeah. And I mean, this is something we talked about last week, that it's gone beyond just the economic pressure of the actual real inflation. It's become political pressure in the United States, which when it starts bleeding over into elections and the, and the main things that people are caring about in elections, it puts a lot of additional pressure on the Fed. The Fed is not an apolitical body. People think that it is independent. It is certainly not. 
A quick one though. I know the president cracked this week and also laid into ExxonMobil. Does that have to do anything with inflation? So is it the high energy prices? What's up? I mean, it's a little bit crazy. It's like talking out of two sides of your mouth. I don't want to get too political here probably, but obviously we've, we've covered very closely that the reason, you know, going back a year, two years ago, the reason that oil companies in the United States were not heavily investing is because we thought we were at the end of the era of oil. And we thought that we're all moving to electric vehicles. There's going to be, you know, diminishing demand for oil going forward. And this is exactly why you and I, a year and a half ago on this podcast, talked about oil being potentially one of the best areas of the market to invest. It's because you had such negative sentiment and we really hadn't found a way to get away from oil. And it just took a geopolitical crisis to, to create the catalyst for oil prices to move higher and oil stocks to go with it. So we were pretty clear at outloading that catalyst a year and a half ago, actually. I think from what I'm reading in the Financial Times today was that uh, even though oil prices are very high, the scaling up of production in the U.S., uh, especially to do with shale oil, has also been uh, lagging a lot. So it's not ramped up as much as people expected. That's why you're having like a bit of uh, challenges in the U.S. So I'm not so sure why that kind of comment was that ExxonMobil is making more money than God when Apple should be the one you're talking about that is actually making more money than God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is like, it's a generational thing. It's like thinking, uh, oh, what, what would have been the, what would I have said in 2005? And, <laughs> I'd say, okay. Yeah. The two, <laughs> in the 2005 oil era, you would have been incentivizing people to, to drill more, but like, especially on, on the left side of politics, like you're trying to disincentivize. We're all trying to move to renewable energy. So we've disincentivized oil production. We've actually villainized oil production, which is not a political statement for me, but that's just the way it is. And yeah. to expect that they're going to be drilling is totally the opposite of everything that you've said for the last two years. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> expecting to ramp up production in the space of like two months of conflicts, three or four months of conflicts, it's a bit, I mean, they've had long-term plans in terms of diversifying away from fossil fuels. So I think like this is a quite a change of direction and tone. So it may take a while for them to actually and I wonder how much they would be able to trust you to tell them to change if two months ago you're telling them to be in the other direction. So I think that's a tough one. But a quick yeah. one also, like, I think the cracks that are emerging in terms of spending and, and consumer sentiment, consumer sentiment is sinking. That Visa CFO was saying that that could be self-inflicted, that we are actually pessimistic and that's already driving down our expectations going forward. And also secondly, there was the quote that we had there uh, from PayPal CEOs and that uh, the balance sheets are strong right now, but the way people are spending in a couple of months, it may not hold the same way. And I tend to agree on the, the second sentiment, especially about that uh, consumer balance sheets may not hold this much for long. Yeah, I think that that's right. I, we still, I would characterize it as cross currents on the consumer. We're not, if anything, I would say the headline on consumer spending is uh, it's still very strong. But I think people who are looking forward are seeing some signs that, again, there's sentiment that's weakening for the consumer. And then I think that people are seeing that balance sheets could deteriorate pretty quickly, especially as you have inflation. I mean, as you have inflation without nominal wage growth, you're having real spending power decline. So something that even if people had $3,000 in their bank account before the pandemic and now $10,000 in their bank account. If they, if the purchasing power of the $10,000 is down by 
you're starting to bounce out back to the old purchasing power. And so I think spend more, they spend more to get the same level kind of they were before, or at least to acquire the same stuff that they had before. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, consumer spending. And then, you know, one of the interesting quotes that you pulled out was on luxury housing, that luxury housing demand was looking particularly weak. I think if I remember that quote correctly, <laughs> and I think it's very interesting because actually this year, the, the luxury consumer has been hit probably harder than anybody because so much of the luxury consumer's balance sheet is in equity markets. And so when you have equity markets, and even at, even more at the extreme end, you know, who's been, who's been the quote unquote winner in the economy for the last 15 years has been high tech, high growth venture type companies, which have very high valuations that are, are falling by a lot right now. So you probably have a lot of people who were high end consumers whose, you know, balance sheets are down 70%, equity is down 70% this year. Speaking of impact of valuations, there was a quote from DocuSign CEO about the impact this has had on people's motivation and I mean, employee retention and motivation. So I think motivation is down because people can see obviously that their stock, the value of their stock has plummeted and the value of maybe the warrants and options that you gave them actually not worth as much as before. And secondly, of course, that means people are now actually wondering, I think something that he hit upon is that the last two years of growth have kind of taken the company to a level of growth, which they had aspired to for like a long-term growth was achieved in a short time, in a short time period. So that means a lot of the people are like, okay, what more do we have to do here anymore? Because of that, then people are moving to other jobs, probably thinking what they want to do. So they, the kind of incentives that made people come to companies Docusent are not there anymore. So I don't know what you've seen in terms of thought, but I think this is striking because I try to look for more quotes like this. It's very rare to find anyone talking about this, but I think DocuSign CEO was very honest in terms of laying it out the way he sees it, which is very, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, we keep picking up the venture community is the most bearish of any community that we're seeing right now in capital markets. Mm. And I think the thing that the venture community is seeing that they're most concerned about is that this is the biggest change for venture investors. So venture capital backed startups, people who are working in companies where there's been a large equity compensation component. And the thing that people are concerned about is that this is a long-term change. And that we're going from a structurally low interest rate environment to a structurally higher interest rate environment. And when you have that, it, it incentivizes more near-term cash flows. You have a time value of money now. And I think that the employees of these companies are just a, just one other segment of this. I don't think, I think everybody recognizes this, that, you know, if compensation isn't going to be where it was, you have to adjust your models. And these are, these could be very painful structural changes for the economy, for capital markets, for businesses, if it actually ends up being a long-term change. And we've talked about this before in podcasts over the last few weeks that I'm still skeptical that it's a long-term change. There's just oh. too much incentive from a government perspective towards keeping this as the way, like structurally lower rates, moderate to, to extreme inflation. You know, these are just when you have a government that's has so much debt relative to GDP, the most, the most effective way that people in power can maintain power is by inflating that debt away. And so that's still the, the burden. That's still the most likely path through what policy will be. 
I mean, it's an interesting to go ahead. By the way, my favorite sector in the economy, cybersecurity, is still hiring. That was a pretty cool to see if they still have a, 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 even in a bad economy, people still need to be protected from the bad actors in the economy. Yeah, it, it has been frustrating to me as an investor to be looking around and finding so few places where you can make money in this environment. It's really like, I, I mean, I prefer to be on the long side, not the short side. And obviously on the short side, there's money to be made or has been money to be made. But it's hard to find stuff where even where there's these secular trends like information security, it's not easy to find companies that are stocks that are rising, you know, stock prices that are rising. You know, in fact, a lot of those like Cloudflare is one that we follow pretty closely, which is on this theme. I think Cloudflare is probably down 70% this year. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think the key takeaway for me this week was Token Milan said, I think even even at this period of time, I think the easy money in terms of shorts have been made. He's afraid a lot of bear market runs and going forward, he's going to, right now he goes to the office to just do nothing for now. And bonds where he used to go for solace, they have been hit badly. Low interest rates have kind of killed all the correlations which he used to have before. So it's really hard to make money, but he says, Going forward, some of the skills that he encourages people to develop is multi-sector analysis where you're able like, to look at macros and, of course, kind of get a, a high-level overview of various sectors of the economy and how they affect each other. And I don't know, like a lot of people who have come into investing the last 10 years, you've mostly come into tech, growing tech and stuff. So, so now it's time, finally, time to also check out the kind of boring parts of the, sec- of the economy, which people rarely looked at. So I'd say... Uh, I would say that's a bullish case for the transcript. So I think that's a good place to be, to be invested in for the long term. Or in our newsletter, I would say. Any thoughts, any closing thoughts? Yeah, certainly. I mean, in terms of the transcript, one of the things that I think we pride ourselves on is covering a large breadth of the economy. And it's not just tech. It's not just consumer. We cover every sector that we see. And again, it's frustrating. Even looking at all of those sectors, there's not clear catalysts for where to make money right now. So it is just kind of like a, a waiting and seeing mode. But I'll note that there's been a ton of growth that we've seen at the transcript in the last Incredible growth. couple of weeks. So welcome to any new listeners who are listening to the podcast for the first time and uh, Twitter followers and readers of the newsletter. Welcome and thank you all for your support. And we'll keep, keep trying to help navigate this for everyone. Definitely. Looking forward to Q2 earnings next month. We'll be right here to cover them again, looking at the key themes. So thank you for joining us this week and see you again next week.